This is a moment in wine and hip hop, brought to you by Crew Love, blending wine and hip hop at the highest level. Wine and hip hop, wine and music. Tell me up, bro. Check this out. Oh yeah. You'll be the life of the party. Wine and hip hop really mirrors the the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, y'all? It's your man, Jermaine Showtime Stone, a.k.a. The Wolf of Wine, a.k.a. The Zara Vibes, a.k.a. Young Thanos. I'm just out here collecting infinity stones. <laughs> I got the homie, the big homie, Ryan Bailey in the building, man. Los Angeles. What's up? In New York, man. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you, Thanks man. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. So, um... You in New York, man. You on a bit of a tear. You kind of ripping the town up, man. Thank you for for stopping through our humble abode. Oh no, this is great. It's a pleasure, man. It's a you know. it is a busy week, but I'm loving it. It's good to be back <laughs> in the city. That's real. So what what brought you out to to NY this go around, man? So crazy kind of week. Uh, Monday night at Le Company Vincernationale did a launch of my company Porte. Had a party. Had a soil pimp DJ. Had Caleb in the house. Shout out to Soil lines. Pimp. Yeah, Soil <laughs> Pimp. And shout out to Caleb, man. Uh, it was good times. It was good times. We uh, did a little mixtape, had uh, some serious tunes, had some awesome wines, launched the product. Last night, uh, Tuesday, did a night at Niche Niche. Nice, so a little, nice. A little re- revolving kind of restaurant <laughs> with a different wine professional every night. Right. Um, so we did a flight of five wines, different pairings. Crowd was awesome. Good to oh. see old friends. Caleb was on the show. You know, he's a wine and hip-hop alum. Now, so you told us about the wine mixtape. Tell us about some of the wines that you poured. Yeah, so it was a fun night. We uh, we started off with champagne because that's what you got to do. That's what you start off with. By the way, he brought some champagne yeah, too. Yep, yep, yep. Like low key, low key here. Yeah, like he brought, a, he, he brought a slide ball in. He slipped <laughs> it in there. <laughs> uh, uh, definitely shout out to my friend Nicole at Krug. So she hooked it up with a nice bottle of Grand Cuvée right here. <laughs> nice. Um, so Nicole, yes. we need you on the show too when you're ready. When <laughs> She'd you're love ready. it. She'd love it. Um, she actually a music, music major too back in the day. Um, but no, yeah, we started off with champagne. Uh, we did some Etienne Calsac, super small grower producer champagne, Blanc de Blanc from one single site, Le Roquefort. Um, then we mixed it up. We did some wine, some uh, Spanish producer, Raul Perez, which was awesome, out of Magnum. Then we did some Portuguese stuff, because I was in Portugal for a bit. Mm. Um, we did a 1985 Portuguese wine out of the Great Baga. And then we finished off with some Syrah, because we got to finish with Syrah. Nice, nice. Yeah. So um, now, did you pair that with the music at all? Well, were, you so- were you in Soil Pimp working? So actually, uh, Dentiste and I have met a few different times through friends in the music industry, both New York and L.A., and um, both into records, both into, you know, soul and funk and, you know, stuff that gets sampled a lot. And um, to be honest, I know it was going to be busy pouring wine and doing all this stuff. Yeah. And I felt weird to like just plug in a phone with a mix, you know, for a mixtape. <laughs> right, right. So I, I reached out to him. He was ready. Yeah. So I reached out to him and I was like, hey, do, would you bring some vinyl? And so he brought it. He, he, de- <laughs> he definitely brought it. I mean, there was like, there was gospel, there was soul, there was Damn. funk, there was rap, there was hip hop. There was like across the board. Damn. It was really awesome and some legit vinyl. Dope. And then niche, niche. Um, shout out to Ariel RC. She's going to be on our show awesome. soon. Um, 
But niche, niche, the revolving dinner party, man. Like, what was your time like there? Man, it was a whirlwind. What, what was a Ryan Bailey party like? Oh, man, it was a whirlwind. <laughs> um, from the second I showed up, it was just guns blazing, man. It was like people <laughs> at the door knocking down. Trying Did to it remind him. you of like being at service at the Nomad? Uh, it was, no, it was, way bu- it was busy. <laughs> it was like, I mean, like it was real busy. Like people, like, so they do two different seatings, uh, early seating and late seating. And um, the whole team there, Anna, was great. And you send them, you know, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing wine-wise. And the chef puts together a menu to right. pair with it. Chef killed it. Um, and the wines were just absolute fire um and everybody was really receptive the crowd was cool there was some industry people there were some old friends so and the door just kept on opening and opening <laughs> and more people just show up like rita jame comes through <laughs> right next thing you know bobby stucky's just all of a sudden just, there just, just like, rolling in just all these people just rolling in it was wow. awesome and uh it was busy though because it's like bam 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 you do like 40 people and then you know everybody gets up and you do 40 people again and it's four course menu with like five wines and the whole staff there is awesome. And so we sat down for about, I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes. And they're like, hey, tell us about the wines. Why, why are these wines great? Why are we pouring them tonight? Why are they part of your life? Um, which is cool because it was nice to share, like, something that I'm passionate about with a team who was super eager and had great energy but wasn't my own team. You know, right, like, I just right. met these people then. Um, and then they get super passionate about the wine, and they're going around, they're pouring, they're telling the stories that I was telling them throughout the night. Dope. Um, and it was legit. It was like we that night we once again started with champagne, going to Medaval at a Magnum Magnum Champagne, really good value. I wanted to pour wines that because these people they're not all industry people; they're just people you know going out on a date on Tuesday night. And so I wanted to pour wines that they could afford if they liked right. them, things that they could go to the store and buy that were good values and overperforming, but also push their palate. So we did champagne, then we did some Chocolis out of a pouron. So a pouron is a kind of old school device that's used in the Basque country in northern Spain to pour wine out of to break up some of the carbonation that's in it. And I have a really cool old one, mm. which uh, to carry this pouron <laughs> in my glass pouron in my hand uh, through the airport oh, shit. <laughs> at this uh, volatile time right now um, was a little crazy. It definitely the security guard thought it was bong, um, but it brought the pouron with me from L.A. Gangster, which, yeah, gangster. which is a vintage pouron from uh, a market in uh, in Montreal. Rolls with the you're like a hitman that flies in with the tools just. You know, <laughs> well, I like it. It's fun to have service pieces, you know. <laughs> and then we did, once again, we did some older Portuguese stuff. We did a 120 year old vine Moved that was like mm. a $15 bottle of wine. It was great. And then some port, actually, and, you know, snoozy old port, but it was from 1978. Mm. And Coyeta Tani Port, that was just awesome. And nice. everybody loved it. Round it out, yeah. round it out at the end of the night. Little, little nightcap. Yeah. Damn. Well, um, yeah, man. Well, I'm glad that we at Wine and Hip Hop now, man. Yeah. It's it's the only way. T- we're like the, you know, we're like the uh, the the Syrah at the end of the meal. You know, yeah, what I'm exactly. Saying? <laughs> I like that. I like that Syrah. Like at the end we of the meal. we just we just rounding it out here. Well, this is this is midweek. I got La Polet coming up now too. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. So I got a Burgundy festival with a bunch of different events going on that uh, starts up on tomorrow. Actually, damn. Yeah, man. Shit's, that's gonna be a bear. Yeah, there's people from all around the world coming, producers, and getting together just to celebrate and drink good Burgundy. That's yeah, awesome. La Palais is the shit. Like, 
um, during my Zachy's days, I, I did a lot of La Paulet yeah. action. So actually, you know, it's funny. We were so um, we had some some pizza before this. We were talking about RN seventy four. Yeah. Um, I remember a La Paulet after party at RN seventy four one year in San Francisco. Yo, I'm talking like I'm on I'm on tables with like a with like a three liter to the face. It's oh, like wow. it was like a, a night like that, man. RN seventy four got lit. <laughs> it, it gets it gets that way. It gets point, that way. Hey, cheers, well, man. Cheers, man. Cheers. Thank you. So today, Ryan brought the the wine and the rhymes. So we about so talk talk to us a little bit about what we're drinking right now. So right now this is kind of it, you know. We're drinking Krug, a little uh, Grand Cuvée out of half bottle. Mm. So Krug's, you know, when you talk about brands that not only have, you know, great presence and uh, exceptional value, but are kind of the epitome of it. Right. When it comes to growing champagne, you know, there's all these different small names that are coming about, up and about, and you're excited to taste those things. And then there's like the classics, the things that have been around for, the, that you know, the test of time. And Krug is definitely it. So this is the Grand Cuvée, and mm. Krug does this cool thing on the back here. You can uh, do a little ID scan, and it'll tell you what edition the bottle is. So this is 168, and then it will give you all the information about it. So this is from 100 different, 120 different uh, individual plots. Damn. It's a blend of Pinot, Chardonnay, Pinot Meunier. It's seen seven years of age to in the cellar, with wine dating back to all the way to 1996, which was incredible vintage for Champagne. Whew. So the, shit, yeah. it's, it's singing right now, like great acidity, like just mouthwatering. Yeah, that, <laughs> you know, it's that balance between like richness and bold mm. and kind of you know full body character, uh, and then this backbone acidity that comes across. You know, some of these bigger champagnes, big champagne houses, they you know they're about the label, they're about the brand, they're about marketing and all that stuff. Um, but Krug definitely delivers on quality of product, man. Yeah, facts. Yeah, that, yeah, that's very true. Damn. All right, so we got to We the wine people know you, but the hip hop people got to get to know. You. <laughs> so, rap spirit animal, man. Have you? Do you know? Do you have a rap spirit animal? If there was a rapper that embodied your style, your persona, what rapper would that be? Oh man, I was uh, I was thinking on that for a little bit, and I was kind of going a couple. It's a different... deep question. It's a deep question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I've never answered a spiritual animal question <laughs> in my life. So the fact that it's a r- spiritual rapper one here, it feels good. Um, but no, I was kind of thinking Nate Dog. Let me contemplate. I glance in the cut and I see my homie Nate. Sixteen in the clip and one in the hole. Nate Dog is about to make some bodies turn cold. Now they dropping and yelling. It's a tad bit late. Nate Dog and Warren G. Have to regulate. Oh, shit. I you love know, it. I'm in LA right it. now. I got to represent. Yeah. Nate so, Dog. So yeah. why why Nate Dog? Because it's smooth, you know? Smooth. <laughs> you, yo, you, you got the fedora on, man. You smooth <laughs> as shit. Yeah, like, I, I get the Nate Dog vibe. I get Nate Dog. I'm a pretty chill guy. And, you know, like, I've lived in a bunch of different cities and I've done a bunch of different stuff between writing and working Every the floor other city we go. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> But Nate, Nate Dogg's on everything. I was thinking about this. I was like, name a rapper who hasn't done a track with Nate Dogg. And it's like, there's nothing like solo. You got like So Fly and I Got Love. You yeah. know, things that are like emotional and like smooth. But then you like, you know, he's on Till I Collapse with M, you yeah, know. Yeah. He's, you know, Regulator with Warren G. about 
till I collapse. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, that was a dope collab. I forgot Eminem and Nate though. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you got him on Twenty One Questions with Fifty Cent. Yeah. And when that song came out, every guy listened to that with his girl. Oh, you know? absolutely. That was a Valentine's Day special. <laughs> yeah. He's on. Uh, you know, uh, ain't no fun with Snoop. Yeah. He's explosive with Dre. Great diversity here. Great yeah. diversity. I mean, he's on Area Codes of Ludacris. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was my. Tra- that was when I was traveling. I mean, you got Tupac, Exhibit, Master P, Corrupt, Damn. and he's even on, he's even with, uh, on Oh No, that track on oh No yeah, with Mos Def. that was my on shit. On the Lyricist Lounge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. I got a great Lyricist Lounge story, man. Um, well, but um, nah, man, I, li- I like the rap spirit animal question, man. Um, I feel like the last person that knocked it out the park like that was Thomas, man. So there's, some, there's clearly something in the water. At um at the Nomad, yeah, you know I don't know what's going on. So, speaking of which, um, you're the wine director at the Nomad in Los Angeles. Yeah. Now, I understand uh, that's a pretty big <laughs> structure that you're working in. Um, can you tell everyone a little bit about like what a night at the Nomad might be like? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of crazy. It is. It's huge. <laughs> it's so big. I walk like 13, 15 miles a day around that place. Um, but it doesn't. Your st- Fitbit is going crazy. I know. You getting? He's getting his steps in, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and those monks, double strap monks too. So not not comfy. Uh, but no, it actually starts out in the day. We got an awesome cafe um, that's really like kind of becoming a cornerstone to downtown LA. Um, you know, we're serving Devotion Coffee, which is based out of here in Williamsburg. Nice. And uh, then it's going up to the roof, and we got a rooftop pool and bar. Um, you know, we do vinyl on the weekends up there, you know, frozen pina coladas, rose bar, you know, um, cabanas. It's really fun, chill, but like not like a club. It's like mellow. Like if you want to go up there and right. you know, just read a book and relax and get away from New York for a couple of days, that's the place. And now, with a guy like you, you know, handling the list, I'm sure you get some badass wine. Yeah, yeah. And for- on all of them, in all of them spots. And like, I feel like it's usually tough to get good wine in dope spots like that. Well, the cool thing about it is that, like, you can be chilling by the pool and you get the whole wine list. You're not forced to drink whatever the, like, overpriced rooftop pool wine that everybody tries to do. You can be like, hey, I want to check out the wine list. And, you know, here comes a binder with 4,000 wines in it. And you could be drinking grower producer champagne. You could be drinking, you know... Twenty dollar muscadet. You can be going drinking rosé because it's the season, or you could be like balling out and be drinking some serious <laughs> burgundy or shav or whatever you're in the mood for. Insane. So it definitely becomes like a industry spot because the prices are like so real affordable. I'm not trying to you know gouge anybody. I'm trying to make wine like mm-hmm. accessible, and then uh, and make it fun and create something that's awesome. And the nice thing about having a big property is that we we move wine like people come through. So. It gives me a little bit of opportunity to like create a little leverage and get a couple extra bottles of this or that. Absolutely. And uh, also like uh, you know put some placements for people who you know are up and coming. Yeah. yeah. Dope, man. Dope. So tell me about the wine list there. Like you've you've worked very hard to create a unique list, uh, from what I understand. Uh, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the list. Yeah. So like what people can expect to find. Yeah. So the whole program in its entirety is something pretty special, I think. Um, 
I always talk about, you know, the wine list isn't the whole program. You know, I got incredible sommeliers. I got an awesome uh, seller. My staff, they're excited about wine. The food works with the wine. But the list itself is, you know, has grown over the last two years. Wanted to do something that was big to, like, make an impact, um, but also have people there that were pretty chill and knowledgeable that can make it accessible. Because you got big old list, but nobody talked about wine right. with, you're kind of stuck. <laughs> right, right. Um, so we have about 4,000 selections. Um, you know, we have the largest champagne selection in the world, which is pretty cool. As of casually, ago. casually, casually, man, uh, yeah. casually, you know, uh, how, so how many champagnes are on the list? We got over 750 champagne. <sighs> yep, yep. So you can find pretty much whatever you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, I'm not selling, you know, I'm not selling out and buying everything, you know, um, right. I'm making, it's not sh- a junk show. It's no. like. It's curated. It's right. like it's put together. It's it's there. And I also try to keep the prices super low so that people can get at it. You know, I have, you know, Champenoise winemakers who come and are like, man, my wine is 10, 15 euro more in Paris. Or people going, hey, I looked this up on Wine Searcher and it's retail around the corner for the same price. <laughs> um, because I want people to drink champagne. I want it to be celebratory. Yeah. Um, and I like I started this whole that whole process out because of actually going back to it on seventy four, and I wanted a list that had diversity to it, but had one region that like went a mile deep. Right. And so we decided to focus on. I wanted to focus on Champagne because the space is beautiful. It's big. It's a place where people go to celebrate. And also, nobody was really really doing it at the time. You got Champagne bars. You know, sh- you know, shout out to, you know, Ariel and the whole crew here at Special Club and all that. You know, you have the Riddler in San Francisco and now in New York. And but those are like a little bit more smaller community places. I right. wanted something that was big that could could put L.A. on the map globally, you mm-hmm. know. So just piece by piece kept on adding and adding away until a couple of weeks ago when, you know, I take a look at like peaks in, in Portland. I look at, you know, Le Carrere and in uh, Rams and Champagne and I'm like, oh, shoot, shit. <laughs> I just shoot it. I thought we were gonna get. I thought I was gonna get like bleeped out right there. Uh, no, I was like, shit. Um, we got more wine, more champagnes than them. So it's like, that's pretty cool. But we got other stuff too. So like, right. I I have like thirty bottles under thirty bucks. I want to make sure that like Damn. you're a buster at a restaurant and you got a couple bucks tip and you want to like get into wine. You can go there in this big luxurious hotel and open up a bottle of you know twenty year old riesling for twenty eight bucks. You know, it's like you're getting. The advantage of a wine bar, you know, like it's almost like you just go into a wine, a dope ass wine bar, but you got a restaurant, a pool, and I'm sure a bunch of beautiful people around you. Yeah, some, some good, <laughs> some good people saying? around. But yeah, I mean, like we actually have more Burgundy than we have Champagne. We got about a thousand Burgundy on the list. Wow. I guess I like to promote locality, so I. Try to represent wineries from Santa Barbara as much as I can because it's about an hour and a half north of here. So all the wines that pour by the glass that are from the states are from Santa Barbara. Um, and then like some of the old school, you know, producers that have not uh, changed their ways in California. So like verticals of my commas, verticals of Heights, and you know Corson and you know Ojai. These guys that have been making wine for decades. Right and haven't changed their ways and i want to pay respect to them so when i went out there i actually called a few of them and said hey opening up i want to feature your wine is there some stuff in the library that you can release because i would love some like pristine bottles to like really show off to our guests here and we've been able to do some great partnerships with some stuff so dope 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 
Damn, man, you you got a lot of shit going on. So how did you get into this? Like, what what made you get into wine? Uh, yeah. So because like you Nate Dog level cool right now. <laughs> so usually people don't see like when you Nate Dog level cool, you don't just walk into wine. You kind of walk into pimping. You walk into uh, <laughs> you know, all type of. You might be like, honestly, you look like a jazz player right now. You know what I'm saying? I feel like. You could definitely be in a jazz club holding it down, um, but yeah, how'd you how'd you get into wine? Uh, well, like to speak of that, like I since I moved out to LA, I've like really come into my own. I understand that like who I am as a human being mm-hmm. and who I am in wine. I don't need to try to be anybody else. So much of like being a young sommelier was always like trying to embody and personify these other people who were, I looked up to and then realized like, Hey, I can be my own person, you know? Yeah. And it took, it took me moving out of New York and took me, you know, 10, 15 years in the, in the wine game to like trust, like that I have knowledge and I, ha- I you know, I love hospitality and I love making people feel good. So, but that all started, um, back in high school, actually, mm. I was living in Sonoma. We had moved from the Bay area up to Sonoma County. And my dad was like, hey, you gotta, you wanna buy your own car, you wanna you know, pay for college, you wanna do all that, you gotta get a job. So I worked at this restaurant called The General's Daughter, like old school, pretty formal, lots of you know, Napa and Sonoma wines, but you know, people came through and they spent money, and, but the food was great, awesome chef uh, that came in from New York, great sommelier that came from New York, and they were setting up shop in Sonoma, and I was, you know, Braces and acne, and, you know, <laughs> right. like long hair and whatever. <laughs> right, but um, right. I, I saw these captains because there wasn't really sommeliers back then. There was like, you know, yeah, like maitre d's. Yeah, like shit. our GM did the wine for <laughs> the program, and she was awesome. But uh, she, she, uh, she picked out the wines. She ran the restaurant. She did the whole thing. But the servers, the captains, so the old school captains, were in charge of selling the wine. And so I saw these guys, and this is pre, you know, economic crash or bubble bursting or whatever you want to say of 2009, and they were making money. They were mm. like, they were pulling some serious, like three, four hundred bucks a night cash in their pocket. And I said, I want, I want to do that. And I worked my <laughs> way up, you know, busting tables, working the door, you know, serving, bar backing, whatever it was. And I said, I want to be a captain. And so she said, hey, you can't be a captain because you need to know about wine and you're not even old enough to drink wine. At the time, I was like maybe 17 or 18. And uh, I said, okay, so like how do I do this? She was like, you know, when you you turn 21, you can start like (laughs) sipping and doing all this stuff and da-da-da. I was like, forget that. I'm not waiting until I'm 21. So I got a fake ID. And it was like the worst fake ID I've ever seen. McLovin. (laughs) His name was not McLovin, but it was... um, I'm not gonna say the name on it, but uh, the, it was definitely he was definitely Mexican, which I'm Irish Catholic. <laughs> he was five foot five. It takes one to know one. <laughs> but yeah, he was five foot five. I'm five eleven. The ID was like said he was thirty three. I was like eighteen, <laughs> and it had been expired for like five years. But it, <laughs> it was like just kind of good enough that real like scratchy. Bended a couple of times, Ran you know. The washing machine, and shit. <laughs> but I used that to like go tasting, and I won't say any places, but like up and down Highway Twelve, and I would go taste, and I'd get an understanding of what was going on in the glass, and then I bought every book because like, uh, you know. 
you like at the, you, 17 or were you yeah like i was like 18 19 then wow. so i bought every book very focused man i was i i bought everything i could get my hands on wine wise and you know everybody talks about their story when they bought you know karen mcneil's wine bible or whatever that was literally like beat down written on and everything on it and i told my my manager i said hey give me a test give me a test give me a test on the food give me a test on the wine on service because we were like shooting michelin star level at the time and all the captains were like you know these older gentlemen and I said, give me a test. And I, and I did well on the test. And so there was a night. <laughs> there was a night when the server and the chef got in a fight. And the server just, the captain just peaced out. He just like left. He's like, I'm out of here. And just left. <laughs> and it's like Saturday night, crazy busy. And he's got a whole section. I just step in. I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm, like, I'm going in for it. And I step in. And the manager's like, you did a good job. You passed your test. All right, cool. You're going to be a captain. So which was great because then wow. I got to sell wine. I got to open up bottles. And then by the time I was like, you know, I was 20-ish. And I used to drive down to the city, to San Francisco, to all the portfolio tastings. And I used to spend all my money, like all my tip money, at RN74. I used to right. be at the bar, like chatting it up with Dustin, chatting it up with Raj, chatting up with all the guys down there, like Eric and such, and learning from them what real, like, serious wines were. Because at the time, I was like seeing Sonoma, Napa, and Russian River Valley, things like that. But like Burgundy, Bordeaux, you know, Cornas, and Northern Rhone, and Italy. And so I started tasting with them. And then I, like, on my 21st birthday, drank a lot <laughs> and like moved out of Sonoma and moved to go to school in Sacramento and passed at that point in time, got a job as a sommelier and passed my first two levels of, uh, of the test and was one of like maybe a handful of sommeliers in the, in the entire like city of Sacramento in the capital. Wow. Yeah. Working at this great Michelin star restaurant called the kitchen and, and just kept on going, you know, going to school in the morning, studying physical therapy and mathematics and working at a clinic and, working on a rehabilitation center, and then at nighttime just doubling down and going and working in the restaurant. Damn. Yeah. So what was your social life like? Or was the social life in the restaurant at yeah, that time? I didn't have much social life. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I, with my, college ex- my college experience was like going to school, taking as many units as I could to get done with as soon as I possibly could, and working like two jobs. Or, you know, I always yeah. worked in physical therapy, and I always worked in uh, wine. And then I started writing, and I started helping people buy for their private sellers and just keep on doing that. And there was just a moment all in there that I had to, like, choose between the two. Was I going to do physical therapy for the rest of my life uh, and go get my doctorate degree, be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt? <laughs> right. <laughs> or do I keep on doing what I was doing, making, like, a decent, making some serious money doing wine at, like, 21, 22, 23, and double down and, like, go go to CIA, you know, make connections, start writing, start like making sure that I was always at every single tasting, at every at every event and then thinking about what my life could be in wine. Mm. So, damn, man, that that's that's dope. Like cuz so you really started super young and just kind of saw the beauty in the wine industry and like, yo, look, I want to grow here. Yeah, I, I what I like is the diversity. If I was a physical therapist, I'd be a physical therapist. Right. And that's what you are for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of your life. Don't get me wrong. Incredible job helping people get back into the, their day-to-day after surgeries and injuries. But there was something about being 22 years old and being saying to myself, hey, I could, I could write about wine. 
I could go work at a winery. I could make wine. I could work at a restaurant, be a sommelier. I could be a buyer. I could go retail. I could work for a distributor or importer that was yeah. like, hey, here's this backbone. Here's this kind of staircase of wine. And then from there, you don't know which floor or what you're going to do with yeah, it, you know? Yeah, it can go anywhere. And then, you know, when you think about the connections that you can make in wine, it's it's ridiculous. Because everyone sits down over a glass of wine. Yeah, it's not. You know, that's how... That's how things happen. <laughs> That's how the world moves. All right. So you got the rhymes and you got the wines. We went Freddie Gibbs and Mad Libs. Yeah. Now, talk to us about your your choices. Or do you wanna you wanna play them first? You wanna get into the break? You know, right now, this is this is this is the Ryan and Showtime show right now. You know? <laughs> Showtime, Dion, baby. I, well, Showtime is back, y'all. Showtime <laughs> is back. You know, I got Nate Dog bringing this shit out, man. I got the coolest motherfucking wine right here. Oh man. So, um, all right. So what we gonna do? Let's get into the music. We gonna take a break real quick. We gonna get back into it. Peace. Uh, turned up like Tony juggling the speakerphones. Fuck social bitch, I got soldiers that I put my people on. 2009, that bitch food stamps what I was eating on. Got always called his ass nine pieces on my Nokia phone squad. Diamonds make to stay on the job. Give me the baby 380 with me like Callis, stay with the side. Bought that poison poppy, see that Afghani shit from the mob. It's a cartoon that clip on the cover of Lucky Charms. Every morning I wake up with my daughter Dora Explorer. Then I get right back to the pot kitchen, stinking that's body training. Murder no road to the motherfucking plane. Alright, we back. We just played Giannis by Freddie Gibbs and Anderson Pack. And we about to drink some shav. Yep. My man brought it. He he came with all of the smoke. He said, listen, after I come through and burn down wine and hip hop with this wine and these rhymes. All you saw Moyes is gonna be shook to come up. Like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what Simon's gonna come follow this man. We no. gonna have to bring somebody back on or something. I don't know. I I, I heard Caleb brought some pet nets, so I brought champagne. <laughs> 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 no shots at Caleb, man. That, <laughs> that was that, all love. Just yeah, that. it's all love, man. That's the homie, man. Um, okay, so what are we what are we about to drink? Uh, so we're about to drink uh, Central Chef Domain. Uh, Jean-Louis Chauve, 2011. So the reason why, cheers, I picked this wine is because it's just the best. <laughs> I, mean, like, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, what I like about the Sancho Chef bottling and, as opposed to the Hermitage bottling is I can afford it <laughs> and right. I can drink it on the regular <laughs> and it outperforms consistently. And... Um, you know, Jean-Louis, I just think right now, and I might get in trouble saying this, is one of, if not the best, winemakers in the entire world. Wow. Um, deep. Yeah. I mean, like, he makes Marcel Rousson uh, Syrah. He makes a bottle of wine, you know, Cote d'Aron, Moncour, for, you know, 20 bucks a bottle, but he also does Cuvée Catalan for a couple thousand dollars. He does Incredible White. He does Incredible Red. He even does a little bit you know, dessert wine that you don't see very often, but he makes, you know, high-end red and low-end red. He makes wine for different price points. And that, for me, that's a huge plus is because not everybody can throw down a couple hundred dollars on yeah. a bottle of wine. So I want to make sure that all that wine is accessible. So like I've poured by the glass since day one, you know, Jean-Louis Chauve selections, Moncour Cote de Rome, because it's like, hey, you're just having a simple glass of wine, but you're having it made by one of the top, if not the top wine makers in the world. Wow. 
Um, and so the San Josef, which is, you know, near and dear to him because this is his backyard. This is, he's in Mauve. So once again, backtrack. We're in France. We're drinking Syrah. We're in the Northern Rum, a little mm-hmm. bit cooler than the Southern Rum. We're not, we're more Syrah than Grenache. And, uh, you know, you have some big regions in the Northern Rum, like Cote Roti and Cornas and Hermitage. And then you have this region of San Josef by the town of Mauve where Jean-Louis is at. And his family has been making wine continuous for 16 generations there, dating Damn. back to 19, or sorry, 1491. Damn. I know, right? 16 <laughs> generations. I'm like, oof. And wow. you have the Syrah that was second to all these other secondary regions, and he sees the potential in it. You know, decomposed granite, high-tone minerality, meaty, savory, black pepper, you know, dark fruit ages forever, but also accessible when it's young and enjoyable when it's fresh. Um, and he puts just as much effort into this wine right here as he does his high-end bottlings at Hermitage and Cuva Catalan. Mm. So much so that he's single-handedly, you know, he's like seriously pain, painstakingly rebuilding the terraces there, like chipping away rock by rock, building Damn. these terraces that are crumbling away that, you know, are, is super expensive to do. And he's investing in this region and bringing this region of essential stuff up on his back. I That's mean, there's incre- there's tons of incredible producers in essential stuff, but Shav is and specifically this bottle is something that like I find myself going to over and over and over again. Um, and this was, you know, I bought this right when we opened up uh, the Nomad. So it's been in the Nomad cellar since that yeah. day and hanging out and you know getting ready for this sure. moment right here. Dope, man. So, Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. No, and it's it's amazing, bro. It's I'm like <clears throat> on the nose alone. Like, wine is dope because you can enjoy it on so many levels. Like, um, I was talking to one of my homeboys the other day, and he was on his cognac shit. And, <laughs> you know, it was cool. I get it. <clears throat> but I tell him, like, you got to understand you're drinking this for a different purpose. Yep. You know, like you, like, you can visually enjoy wine. You know, you can enjoy wine just by the fragrance alone. Like, you don't even have to drink it sometimes. Like, you enjoy it on so many different levels. Like, it's not, this is the scenic route, not the highway. Yeah, exactly. You I know? mean, this, this, in this glass right here, to me, it, I mean, I just rattled off a bunch of stuff. But the nice thing about Syrah in the Northern Round, specifically, and in St. Joseph, where it's a little bit cooler, is it gets a little bit more complexity and depth to it because it's a little bit cooler site than what you would see from California or Australia or even in Koroti and Hermitage. And with that, you develop these aromatics that that are like pepper and meaty and smoky at one time, but are also delicate, like florals. So mm-hmm. my my mother, she you know worked at a nursery. She was a florist for a long period of time, and I identify my aromatics first by identifying the floral components because when I was a kid I was just exposed to so many flowers and wow. so many florals so like I put my nose into this and it's like oh yeah we got like tulips and we got like violets and we have you know like forget-me-nots you know like you mm. have dark florals that are kind of waxy and that could be completely lost if you're just focusing on you know the savory meaty component but that's why, like, I'm sitting here, you know, afternoon, chilling, talking to you, right, right. drinking this awesome bottle of wine. But this bottle could be at a three-star Michelin restaurant, too. Totally. But the price point is one that, you know, anybody can get at at any point in time. Like, maybe it's a little bit special if you're up and coming, you know. But 
you know, I feel comfortable buying this guy right here. So I'd like to talk about tasting notes a little bit. Um, as a fan of wine and hip hop, you know how important metaphors are to uh, to the to the bars. You know. Now, <clears throat> that said, as a sommelier, yeah, you have to use metaphors all the time mm-hmm. to describe the nuances of the wines to your patrons every night. You know, you'd mentioned certain floral notes that you that were familiar to you. How do you explain? Because I'm always trying to bring wine to the people that that feel like wine isn't for them, right? Yeah. How would you describe? You know what? Let's let's describe this in hood terminology. <laughs> Get put put your rapper's hat on, and uh, uh, <laughs> well, all right. So you know what this wine this this. Uh, I'll, I'll come at it with like a record. Right, right, right. So when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, I, all I could think about was cars. And specifically, my brother had uh, just put, you know, a couple subwoofers in his car, you know, a little amp, you oh, know, yeah. little make the little Got bass. Got some bump in it. Ha! I needed some shit with some bop in it. Go. I flew past the whip with that blunt in my mouth. Watch the swerve and that whip had a cop in it. Woo. My bitch got good pussy. Fly her across the country. I finished the show and I hop in it. Mm. I got me a milli. I did it legitly. I'm still with the shits. I'm a hot nigga. Hot. And I, I remember, man, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do with my car once I get my car. <laughs> and I did. I replaced the speakers, you know, put dyno matting in, you know, put an amp, put some subs in. And I remember I wanted to play uh, t- Amplified. From Q-Tip, you remember mm, that album? Yeah. Hell yeah, absolutely. Some amplified from Q-Tip because every song hit like with some serious. Um. Uh. Check it out now. Uh. No doubt now. Uh. Yeah. Check it out now. Uh. No doubt, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that had that shit. Yeah, so like vibrant things, like yeah, 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 had that bump. So this wine is like reminds me of that album. Is Mm. that it? Obviously has some like serious bass to it. You're talking about Syrah. You're talking about full body, meaty, dark fruit, savory stuff going on here. Yeah. But at the same point in time, you now have this lyricist who is, you know, coming off a period of time that he's more like identified with speaking to like issues and speaking to a time period and it can speak to complex things. And that's mm. what's on the back end of this if you you can forget about. Like so you all that floral notes, you know, all the like decomposed granite, all that. So this wine is like bass and treble. It's like everything dope, coming dope. together, you know? Um, and lyrics being tied in, and that's why I like it. It's like and like when you think about Q-tips, like stop and go flow and like in vibrant thing, it kind of reminds me of the tannins on this, you know, because the tannins are like real soft, kind of grippy. Yep. But you don't taste tannin. Yep. It's just you feel it on your tongue, though, you yeah. know, and that reminds me of Q-tips, like stop and start flowing. That that was my shit, man. Yeah. That's a yeah, solid cheers. pairing too, bro. I'm yeah. just saying. Uh, that al- that I mean that album I like I forgot about it for a little bit. <laughs> that album was hard, and I came back to it and I was like, man, that it spoke not only to a time and place in my life, but it also spoke to like the ante- anticipation of a moment too. Mm. Um, but like, yeah, this wine is like the reason why it tastes that way is that 
when it was younger, it probably had a little bit more intense tannin, probably had a little bit more fruit, yeah. and, uh, had a little bit more, you know, gravitas, a little bit more brass, a little bit more weight. But it's 11. Mm-hmm. So it's had nine years now to soften up. Everything kind of integrates, comes together, you right. know? So. Right. Dope, man. This is this is some good wine. Thank you again for, for bringing this shit on, man. Yeah. We got a lot to get into. Um, did you hear, actually, that, that the last Tribe Called Quest album? Yeah. Yo, Q-Tip, man. Q-Tip, hang on. We're going to pause this for a second because I got to play this verse real quick. My nigga spirit be talking to me. Let me explain. Not through evil mediums, tarot cards, and Ouija games, but through mixing chords and boards and even drum machines. He be saying, nigga, fuck the boys. Keep repping queens. And don't be taking slack from these not rapping niggas, man. That intellectual shit you spit, you better change your plan. Especially when you see them at the lobby of a label and they don't seem able to outstretch their hands and admit they fans. You better flame them in the J's that they standing in. Ostracize their memory for not remembering The articles reduce their body parts to particles And dust the dead sea with their cremated molecules Alright, so we back, man I just I just um, veered off and played a Q-Tip <laughs> song And that shit brought us down a black hole But we love these black holes on the show, man This is what it's all about um, Alright, so we, we played a lot of music We need to get back into this Freddie Gibbs Yeah Right? Now why why did why Freddie Gibbs? Why Giannis? Like I love the title for that song, by the way. Because well, it, it just like explains dominance. Yeah. Like it's like the name Young Thanos. You know, it's it's he Giannis is like the Thanos of the NBA, bro. Like get out of his fucking way when he's in the lane. Uh well that that bandana album just just killed it. Like we were we were talking earlier and saying like, man, I just don't know, understand how that thing, that album did not just hit awards, just yeah, like boom, boom, seriously. boom. And I get it, like Freddie Gibbs come back on the scene, and you know, I just like so Mad Lib, Freddie Gibbs. Here you have a producer and a DJ first, you know, who is pulling samples from funk and soul and from gospel and like records that like were out of print, like things that just aren't around. And sampling those things to make some music that is like really deep, mm. and you would expect like a lyricist that it was like, you know, a little smoother, or somebody who maybe is like we were talking about like the Chicago scene, but like somebody who comes at it that approach. And then here you have Freddie Gibbs, who's raw, right. like who's like gritty and is speaking about you know L.A. but Indiana and speaking about you know. Stuff that is like very serious that you would expect to be on more of a street style beat, mm-hmm. and it's being placed upon like instrumentals and being placed upon gospel and soul and pl- played along with like live, live actual instruments, which is killing it. And uh, that song to me, just like I hear that, and it's like I, right, I'm ready to do my day. Like let's let's get this. Um, it's a song that. Like that's to me one of the standout joints on the album. You yeah, know, I, I think that album is sick. The whole album, that, the whole, that whole, the whole album. album is is ridiculous. So when that came out, by the way, crazy. Yeah. Like I'll go a sidetrack, but a crazy yeah. story. I'm working at the Nomad, and Aegon, shout out, who with Nagin Records and one of the best ra- uh, record shops up in LA at Rapcats or whatever comes through, and they're celebrating the you know whole Zebra crew. Everybody's coming through. And Freddie's there and Mad Lib's there and they're celebrating the release album. And week goes by and they got a show. A couple weeks go by, they got a show at the Nova, small little venue in downtown uh, LA, right by the Staples Center. And Mad Lib's staying at the hotel and he comes down 
And I see him I'm like, hey, bud. And he remembers me. Like he like he's like, hey, what's That's up, crazy. Ryan? How's it going? He said, we're about to go to the show, but uh, we want to celebrate beforehand. It's like five o'clock or whatever. Can you pick us out a bottle of champagne? I'm like, hell yeah, I can pick you up a bottle of champagne. <laughs> and so I pick out some champagne and they're drinking and they do another bottle or whatever. And he says to me, you got to come to the show. You got to come to the show. I'm like, man, I'm working right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I will I'm call working. out this motherfucker. <laughs> well, I didn't call out. But <laughs> no. like, I made sure everything was good to go and all that. And he says to me, um, he goes, hey, we, we, we're going to need some wine. We're going to need some wine for backstage, for the stage. We're going to need some stuff. Can you can you come through? And I was like, yeah. Are you kidding me? I got a curator of Freddie Gibbs' Madeline show right now. I was like, at the Nova? Hell yeah. So... Show kicks off. I'm like running down there and I got a bag full of fucking bottles of champagne and wine, <laughs> mostly champagne. Like I got a Jero, a Mag, a da da da. And what, can we talk a little bit about what you brought? I'm yeah, just interested. Yeah, yeah. It was the wine nerds will be interested. Yeah, yeah. It was everything. I mean, um, but the, the crazy moment, the bottle that was hilarious is so uh, Pierre Peters, champagne. Um, Rudolph is a good friend of mine and makes Blanc de Blanc and Menil Sorger. And he. Uh, doesn't bottle too many Jero's. So I get like, I think I get one bottle a year. And I was like, all right, this is a good moment to do this. So I grab a Jero, um, which is a big-ass bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and I got it in my bag with a couple Magnums, um, some other smaller producers of Champagne. We got some Gibrat. We have some Jean Vassel, just little guys. And um, some Riesling and some stuff like that. And we hit, this, we hit the venue. They're like, okay, cool, cool. And I'm expecting to drop off the wine and then to go into the crowd and watch the show. And they're like, no, 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 come up on stage. So I'm on stage left, you know, and I'm just opening up bottles, you know, grabbing a bottle, <laughs> opening up, handing him Mad Lib. He's got a glass in his hand. Freddie's got oh a glass in his God, hand. Every, that, everybody, on, everybody on the stage has got a glass in his hand, which is just like it stem, was awesome. Stem no stemless. No, 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 stems, stems, like legit, Yo, like Zeltas. This, this is fucking wine and hip-hop. Yo, we got the wine and hip-hop king right here, y'all. Uh, All right, he's the ki- he is the king of the sommeliers now. I don't know. He has, nah, man, look, look, look. It's okay, it's okay. This is young Thanos dubbing you the king, the wine and hip-hop king of sommeliers. That is the most wine and hip hop shit I ever heard in my life. Hi, I'm cutting you off. And you, you off put right that now. together. <laughs> and you put that together. So here's the crazy thing, though. I'm like, <laughs> I'm on stage. This bottle's too big to open up without putting it on the floor. So it's on the floor, and I'm opening up, and that song hits. Oh man! And the song is plain. The song is plain. He is rapping to it. Freddie Gibbs shirt off. You know, guys like you know doing all the abs and crunches yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. You know. <laughs> And he's on stage. He's got glass. He's rapping. And the song hits. And I know that Anderson Pack's on that song. And I'm just expecting it to be the lyrics of Anderson Pack, you know, on, you know, coming through, you know, speakers via Mad. And next thing you know, this, you know, this, he's pretty short. Little guy. Yeah. He's a little shorter guy. He's a shorter <laughs> you guy. You just saw the teeth. Yeah, but I saw, <laughs> I, saw, I saw this, like, neon green beanie, <laughs> like, flash <laughs> through me. And he, like, straight, he came through. Up the up the stairs, through the back of the venue, comes side, stage left, whatever goes right past me. He literally does not hesitate one bit at all. Grabs a mic, and just drops right in. That's insane. He played Rose Bowl, tens of thousands of people the previous weekend, and then he shows up at this two night, I don't know, like thousand person show at the Nova for the release of you know Banana. 
and he shows up to support. Wow. And that was like for me. Here's like you know, Freddie's not L.A. born and raised, but he like he's pretty yeah. L.A. He's identified with L.A. And you know, Sa- you know, Anderson's same thing. You know, Oxnard, and that's where Mad is from too. So, and he shows up to lend support and drop on that and that show and. Everybody lost it. I am just like crazy. And then you know what he does? Freddie grabs that bottle and he goes on stage and he starts shaking up, spraying the, oh, <laughs> spraying the fans. And I'm like, oh shit, damn, that's like really good wine right there. He's like, Calm down. <laughs> but everybody's having a good time. And he takes the whole bottle and he just like necks it. Yo, he just takes the whole thing. Oh, that is crazy. It is nuts. Oh my um, god. And that show just was that show is that's was, the illest shit I ever heard. It was pretty cool. Life. But like. Legitimately, that's the like some of my favorite people and regulars are those people. You know, it's like you know the Robert Zantises who are into music and into wine, the Aegons who are into music who are into wine. You know, the Mad Libs and bridging this gap between the two of them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be a part of that without these incredible people. Well, that, why do you think that connection between music and wine exists? I um, I think it's kind of the same way as like you're coming up. And as you're coming up and, you know, I was born and raised in a family that both my parents were pretty, um, you, you know, blue class, blue collar, you know, middle class when they came up. I right. mean, they were like, my dad's the youngest of seven, my, or sorry, youngest of six. My mom's the youngest of seven. They were like poor. They were pretty poor when they're grown up. And they worked really hard to, to move the family up the ladder. And this, you see this in hip hop, too, is that, you know, you have people who are coming from circumstances where, you know, means are a little tight. And then when you make it, you know, um, I think it's Anderson Pack on his bubble, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm gonna spread it," you know, like yeah. I'm gonna spread it around. Um, that's a song, by the way. Like, like I said, a little mm. cheesy. I didn't want to like play that because it's pretty specific of bubbling, but that's a pretty <laughs> pretty solid track too. But we wouldn't have been mad at it. Yeah. Um, so you get some means and. You start like being able to expose yourself to a part of life that wasn't a part of your life beforehand. Right. You know, knowing, you know, knowing what clothes to wear, what cars to drive, you know, what restaurants to eat at, um, where to travel at, you know, how to invest your money, you know, what shows to go see, what you know, sports venues you want to be at, and then it's just like anything else. And, you know, life is too short not to drink good wine. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is. It's like, I probably will drink a set amount of glasses of wine in my life. And I would really love for those glasses of wine to be really good and none of them to be shitty. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever thought about, like, what wine means to you? Like, all the time I kind of sit back and say, I, I kind of take a stock in life and what my my passions are. And, like, you know, I realize that, wine and hip-hop have become my passions and it's really like wine hip-hop family and god you know um for me but have you ever thought about what wine means to you yeah yeah i mean wine to me has always been about getting people together you know, like, I cannot drink this whole entire, well, actually, shit, I probably could drink this, it's really good, but I can't drink this whole bottle of wine by myself. You wouldn't feel right drinking <laughs> such a good bottle on yeah. your own. So, I, uh, it's about bringing people together, because right. a bottle is, you know, five glasses or whatever, so you got to share it with somebody. So, you're like, hey, oh, man, I had this wine this back a couple of months ago, I really wanted to share this bottle with somebody else, and then it's a moment, it's talking right. about that, it's not even about the wine, it's that moment in time where you get to share an experience with another human being and connect on another That's level, dope. and then also at the same point in time, it's like, 
it's one of those things too that it's like it's a vehicle and a means of like connecting people, but also a means of like finding yourself. Mm. And I've always my entire life wanted to push and be better and work harder and achieve more things. And wine gives you the opportunity to find your own identity because you you figure out one of those. We talked earlier about yeah. one of those paths yeah. paths in life that wine has and. You know, you meet winemakers making wine for a long period of time, and you see the passion, and you yeah. see that they identify as themselves, not as you know whatever it might be, but as a winemaker. You know, and whether I'm a sommelier or not a sommelier for the rest of my life, I take pride in the fact that like during this period of time in my life, that wine has pushed me to be a better person. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I. People tell me, give me a lot of shit for saying that wine changed my life. But, like, honestly, wine made me, wine made the world a lot smaller for me. You know, wine made me want to travel, you know. Um, wine actually helped me travel, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot. Like, when I was young, you know, similar to you, when um I was, like, 21, I'm in Beverly Hills, you know, I'm going to Wally's auctions at the fucking Peninsula, mm-hmm. you know, rocking my suit, my Steve Harvey suit that's way too big. But with seven no, button suit, you know. <laughs> but with no tie, you know, because I think, because I thought I was fly, you know. But Steve Madden, <laughs> exactly. Steve, Madden's, Steve Madden's shoes with the alligator. Whatever. Uh, yes, yes, uh, I, d- I totally had those on. Every, hey, by the way, everybody who says that they didn't own like a four button suit, they're just lying that's to a you. Straight lie. Yeah, I could show you the picture with oh. the Steve Maddens. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man. But you know, uh, it's wine did that for me, man. So it, it just holds this special place in my heart, you know. Like, and I. T- Wine helped me to grow as a human being, you know, because to learn about other cultures, like, that's true education. You can learn about math, English, and shit all you want. But if I put you in the jungle, are you going to survive? Yeah. You know, if I put you somewhere where you don't understand anyone, are you going to know how to read that look that's going to mean life or death, <laughs> you know? And I feel like traveling is the only thing that'll give you that true education and wine forces you to like my glass is in France right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Um so I think that's that's really ill, man. Yeah. But we gotta get into some West Coast shit. You gotta right. like so what is the what is the wine scene on the West Coast like right now? So for such a long period of time it was always like San Francisco. You know, you had incredible restaurants in San Francisco and wine bars hitting San Francisco. It was kind of the epicenter. Obviously, you have, like, vineyards in Sonoma and Napa. You have vineyards in the Central Coast and Santa Barbara, all the way down to Temecula and all the way up to Anderson Valley. Um, But just, like, the scene of, like, in restaurants and hitting lists and wine bars and things like that, it was always SF. And I really feel like right now there's a kind of a – transformation happening where a lot of the buzz and a lot of the excitement is moving down south to Los Angeles because you have incredible chefs, you have incredible cuisine, and you have like just amazing food hitting the table in Los Angeles. And these chefs, they realize that like it's great to put plates on the table, but it's also nice to have glasses on the table too. So that gives wine a platform. And 
Ellie's just hidden. Ellie's yeah. hidden really hard right now. I mean, there's some sincerely talented sommeliers. There's some sincerely talented wine buyers. Like retail game there is incredible. You have some of the top sh- sh- like shops, wine shops. I think like LA retail. Like if you're gonna buy a bottle of wine in a city, it doesn't get any better than yeah. LA because whether you're at Domaine LA or you're at Helen's or you know you're at Esther's or you know Wally's. Wally's. Shout out to the Shout out to my man Bill Knight. <laughs> The wine house. Uh, wine house, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All these guys. But like the retail game is really great and it's pushing the restaurants to be better. And so when we when I moved out there about two and a half years ago to open up Nomad, I tried to figure out what I could do to change change it up a little bit. And what I saw in New York that was happening was pretty incredible is that you had teams of sommeliers, you know, whether it's the Modern or Myelino or EMP or Nomad or Del Post or whatever. You had a group of sommeliers. And this created this culture of people who were pushing each other to be better and studying harder and getting into wine and doing tastings. Like I was in a tasting group that was like life-changing tasting mm. group. Like we passed a master sommelier every single year for like seven years. And you got like Jack Mason, Pascaline, and Yannick. And you, you have all these incredible tasters and Jeff Kellogg and everybody shot off and did their own thing. But this culture was really like one that pushed everybody forward. And in LA, there was just like maybe one or two small teams, but there was... Uh, mainly just individuals, and I wanted to create a team of sommeliers that could translate a non-pretentious, really acceptable way about getting about wine. Mm. And so I interviewed a ton of sommeliers. I interviewed like a hundred sommeliers. It was a little <laughs> crazy. It was a little crazy. Um, but and I put together a team of like six, seven sommeliers, and and then I hired like another like four or five for like basic jobs, like servers and kitchen servers, right. because I knew those people would grow into the role. And I wanted to teach these people. It's like, I'm 32 now. And you're like, oh, it's kind of young. But like, I've been a sommelier for like 12, 13 years now. And I feel like I have some knowledge that I want to impart on some next generation. And I've had some experience that in New York, I thought could be shared with people in LA, because New York's kind of a whole different game. You know, you taste wines that you don't get to taste anywhere else in the world. (laughs) You work at restaurants that like every single night are crazy busy. Um, so I hired these pe- uh, this, my team, incredible team. I got an incredible sommelier from Portland. I got an incredible sommelier from the Philippines and was via Singapore. I got a sommelier from New York. I got a sommelier uh, from the Bay Area and then a couple people from L.A. And my goal f- with them was just like, even if it's via osmosis, to teach them enough that when they were done there, that they could go off and be successful and do their own thing, impact the wine world in their own way. And now that we're like two years around, it's kind of happening. And yeah. I feel really good that like these 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 individuals are like coming into their own and like they're absolutely killing it. They're crushing Dope. it. And it, like, they allow me to like step away for a couple of days, which is great. <laughs> nah, that's ill. I mean, I know that the the New York wine scene is, like you mentioned, pretty connected. Yeah. Um, is it like that in L.A.? Like who are some of the players that you would say – kind of like to hang around together a lot. It's not that, like, so people think about L.A. and they're like, it's a city. And it's like, nah, it's, it's, it's like, really gross. Spread out. It's big. It's really yeah, it's spread really out. Like, spread out. Like, I, you, I mean, you try to get to downtown L.A. to Santa Monica in the <laughs> afternoon, it's like an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. So it's a little, it's a little bit tough, but yeah. there's, some, there's some seriously incredibly talented people doing really amazing forward-thinking things there. Um, so about 
just about six months ago, I helped launch an app called Star Wine List, mm. and that's based out of Copenhagen. And they do guides to the cities of where to go drink in the cities. Um, and they're mostly like globally. You're talking about like anywhere from Buenos Aires to Hong Kong to Tokyo to, you know, Montreal or whatever. And I kind of said like, hey, L.A. needs to be on your map. And they're like, uh, I don't know about that. We're thinking about Chicago. We're thinking about, you know, San Francisco. They just did New York. And uh, I said, no, let me let me do some writing for you. So I wrote like 40 reviews. <laughs> and as I'm writing it, I'm like writing down who these wine directors and the sommeliers are at each spot. I'm thinking to myself, man, these guys are killing it. You know, these are killing it. Yeah. Whether, you know, like it's Courtney at a little s- small place called Subaki, which has like 16 wines, but like pouring incredible sake from all around the world. You know, like it's, it's just like each individual at all these places, whether it's Matt at Felix or it's, you know, Kevin at, you know, Antico or whatever it might be, like, whether it's a, a natural wine bar or Italian place or like a big place like Wally's or, yeah. so, you know, a super small place or, you know, places doing food that typically isn't done with wine that everybody in LA, like the people, they're killing it right now. It's really exciting. Like right now for La Palais, there's a bunch of people flying out right now from mm. LA, like Taylor Grant's flying out right now. And I look at what she's doing putting together three programs, um, that are based upon like slightly different cuisines and killing it. I'm like, yeah. oh, man, like really talented, awesome people. That's wild, man. Now, I need to, I need to spend about two weeks in LA. There you go. Like I, I got some serious things in the state of California that just overall need to happen, man. So, yeah, music wise too, man. Totally. You know, Cali. Please don't be mad at me. I'm coming back very soon. Definitely one of my favorite places in the world. Um, now. <clears throat> You got an invention on your hands, man, and I've seen it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Now, can you tell the people about Porte? Yeah. So, um, I got a lot of things going on right. Now. I, yo, <laughs> I man, look, quite the you know, quite the Renaissance, man. Yeah, I'm like right now. Like, I woke up this morning. I'm finishing up ha- doing this beverage symposium, launching this beverage symposium in LA, along with the LA Chefs yo. Conference. Um, which should be awesome. Incredible people coming out for that. Um, at the Nomad, doing some writing for Plate Magazine, Start Wineless, a couple other publications right now, really just trying to like teach and put some stuff onto paper that people want to read. Cool, cool. Um, and then obviously at the Nomad and doing the Nomad and helping out a couple of friends with some side projects so that they can get wine into their spaces so people get to enjoy more wine. But Porte came to be because of a need. I was opening up the Nomad and uh, like any restaurant that opens up, you got your own budgets, you know, your budgets for your pans, your budgets for your, your plates and da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And one of our budgets is a smallwares budget. And that term smallwares a lot of, goes over a lot of people's head. But it's everything in a restaurant that helps with service. So on the wine side of things, my smallwares budget was like decanters and like trays and coasters and a Coravan and wine tools uh, wine buckets and troughs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Things that you just take totally for granted, but are part of the space, you know? Yeah. And they stick out if they don't fit into the space right. And so the Nomad had the luxury of having a pretty serious budget. So they were able to hire a metalsmith to make all these things for them. And I was thinking to myself, with glassware, you have like cheap and expensive and everything in between. Yeah. 
you have silverware, cheap and expensive, and everything in between. But with the small wares, there just seems to be this pretty big gap in the middle. It's like you can go to webstaurant.com and buy something that's made in China, it's really cheap and whatever, for a couple bucks and will probably won't last very long. Or you can go out and hire a metalsmith and pay him a ton of money <laughs> to do something custom. But there was nothing in between. So I wanted right. something um, that was locally made, customizable, and highly functional, but looked beautiful. Like could be at a three-star Michelin restaurant or could be at your home. And we, I ended up partnering up with client agency, John and Masha, who designed some of the most beautiful furniture you've ever seen in your life. And they're the top restaurant designer right now, in my opinion, in L.A. Wow. They designed Auburn. Um, they designed Bon Temps and Highly Likely, three incredible restaurants. Yeah. And um, I went to them with an idea, some sketches, and a, like a really basic prototype um, that was pretty incredibly made and said, hey, I have this idea. And the idea is to start this company on smallwares. And the first item I want to do is a wine cradle. And if you don't know, a wine cradle has been around for a long period of time. It's nothing new. It's a device that when you're in a, you know, holding, when you're aging wine, it should be on its side. And as it's on its side, the wine creates an exact seal with the cork. And that prevents the wine from being oxidized and the cork from drying out. But when it's like that, sediment is forming on the bottom of the bottle here. So if you're in a restaurant or you want to just drink a bottle without putting it upright for like days to keep the sediment to get to the bottom of the bottle, the sediment's going to be here. So if you turn that bottle on its upward, that sediment mixes up and gets all over the bottle and ruins your wine. You know, you don't want to chew it. So I ended up buying some cradles and they were beautiful. They're antique Italian cradles. It cost me a lot of money and they fit in the space because they were antique and the building's a little bit older. But I was thinking to myself, hey, man, what if my building wasn't older? Right. You know? What if I couldn't buy an antique? Um, and the and the cradles were very basic at the time. You have, like, two essential cradles. You have, like, the paper clip is what I like to call it, which is, like, you're putting a bottle on this, like, wire thing, and it's not stable. It doesn't have a handle. And, yes, you can fit a magnum on it, but it's, like, just barely <laughs> resting on it. Or you have the Easter egg basket. Neither of them are, were super functional or beautiful or customizable, and both are really poorly made. So I said, I want a cradle that could fit all three formats or three formats, half bottle, bottle and mag, and a cradle that could be customizable. So our cradles can be 15 different color combinations mm. between the five metal finishes and the three leather finishes. And I wanted something that was gorgeous. Wow. And so each cradle is handmade. It's hundred percent conceptualized, designed and made in Los Angeles. And like as a person who isn't born and raised in Los Angeles but feels like it's about to be my home for the rest of my life, I want to set some roots there. Mm. And so, you know, everything about this company is Porte.LA or Porte-LA or whatever. It's, it's Porte-LA because this product is Los Angeles. And, you know, I mean, me and my partners, we pick out the hides and we hand cut them. You know, each wow. cradle is 100% made in the city, laser-cut aluminum, light as a feather, and plated in the city, and then hand-put together by us. We did wow. all the branding and packaging ourselves. We did the website ourselves, and we launched a video, which Zach, our director, is awesome, upcoming video, uh, director, crushed. And you can check that out, uh, porte-la.com. And that's everything from conceptualization to the usage and everything in between. And my hope is that these smallwares, because we're going to launch other ones down the road, 
will help people who are in the like me who are in the middle of opening a restaurant and didn't have the time to spend crazy amounts just sourcing these little things and also that they can have the same tone the same metal finish and leather finish across all the goods and could make wine service which you talked about people who are like getting into wine wine is intimidating as fuck oh absolutely and (laughs) so then here you are like hey i got this old bottle of wine and you're just a normal dude you don't know how to like go about opening it and then you see this like paperclip thing, and you're like, I don't know how to use that, or it's <laughs> you're like, I don't know how to use that. And you decide you're like, you're like, this is this is too intimidating for me. And hopefully the Porte Cradle as like a thing that is beautiful and like elegant design and the packaging is good and everything about it brings it down a level that it's a little bit more accessible for the everyday person. Dope, man. I mean, I've seen it. It's it's beautiful. There'll be <clears throat> photos of this on the Instagram and on the website. That's wine and hip hop, man, <laughs> and that's the bottle. And that's the bottle. That's a bottle and a half. Yeah. So Ryan, where do they find? Where can everyone find you? Uh, Instagram, Sam Ryan Bailey, S O M M R Y A N B A I L E Y. You can check out Porte at Porte uh, LA on Instagram. You can come check me out at the Nomad LA. Drink some champagne. Kick it poolside do any of that stuff um and you can just search me up and see if you want to read anything i got going on cool but yeah it's good times or at la pole this weekend la pole this weekend (laughs) i'll be pouring lots of great wine (laughs) word man well yo ryan man thank you for the the rhymes the wines the the great time i did not mean to rhyme but (laughs) it's on time when it's on time This is a pleasure. Thank you again for having me, man. This is it's good to come back to Brooklyn, a place uh, that for like five years of my life was home. And like I said earlier, it feels like it's just been the place that I've been able to like understand like I feel comfortable living in. Mm. Whether it's Leffert Gardens or Crown Heights or Williamsburg or you know, whatever it might be in Brooklyn, it's always always been really good to me. So Yeah, man. Well, this has been a great episode. I hope that you all enjoy listening to it as much as we did recording it uh, <laughs> um but yeah man it's your man you know make sure y'all log on to wineandhiphop.com right now and that's all i got for y'all man this week it's wine and hip-hop we out peace this was a moment in wine and hip-hop brought to you by crew love